Welcome to Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. Following a recent military coup in the Northeast African nation of Sudan, there are warnings coming from international human rights organizations and those like the Voice of the Martyrs who work with the persecuted church that there is a new threat to religious freedom in Sudan. According to observers, those behind the coup included loyalists to the former dictator Omar al-Bashir and other hardline groups linked to banned Islamic organizations that called for the overthrow of the civilian government, which had pledged to lead the country into democracy. Islamic law was imposed by al-Bashir in 1989, and he ruled that country for 32 years with an iron fist. And according to Pew Research Center, the country's 1.8 million Christians make up about 5.4% of the population in the Muslim-majority country. Al-Bashir's government destroyed churches, arrested pastors, and bombed Christians in the Nuba Mountains. And the Voice of the Martyrs and some of our other partner organizations provided humanitarian aid during that crisis. Just a horrible, tragic, just unbelievable the things that the people there went through. But we were able to help somewhat, uh, but a situation that lingered on for a long time. Now, under the military government, it is illegal to convert to Christianity, and students, they even face arrest for even discussing religious beliefs. Now, if you've been watching the news, you have seen the protests against the military takeover, and people have been killed in those protests. It's a very volatile situation. Well, joining me to help us try to understand the situation now facing the followers of Jesus in Sudan is Peter Yasek. Peter is the global ambassador of the Voice of the Martyrs, and he was jailed in Sudan in 2017 and spent 445 days in prison for working with the underground church in the country. Peter was accused of spying and was thrown into a cell with members of Islamic State where he was beaten and tortured. He writes about his ordeal in his book, Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil, which is available from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, and I will put a link on the podcast show notes, along with a link to an interview that I did with Peter on 100 Huntley Street, in which he shares his story about the time he was imprisoned in Sudan. And Peter joins us from Prague in the Czech Republic. Peter, great to see you again. Thank you, Greg. Uh, greetings to Canada. And I know that you have been busy, just got back actually from Brazil, talking about what's happening around the world to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know Sudan is a special country to you in a lot of ways. And of course, it's also a place where some very difficult things happen. But what was your reaction when you heard that the prime minister of the country and the civilian leaders had been arrested? I mean, this transitional government, which there was great hope, uh, and now the military is back in control. What, what were you thinking when you heard about this? You know, since I was uh, released from prison, I've been in uh, permanent touch uh, with uh, the Sudanese brothers uh, there. Even uh, I had some contacts with those who were still in prison, in the prison chapel, but uh, I'm in touch with uh, uh, the brothers there. And so my first uh, immediate reaction was just to try to reach them through, uh, you know, uh, secure ways, uh, secure media. And uh, at first, you know, there was silence. So, and that's exactly confirmed what we have heard in media that 
the, the, the coup actually leaders uh, have um, uh, disconnected all media connections. But uh, later on, on Monday, I received a kind of, you know, uh, calming news from uh, one of my contacts uh, that uh, saying that he's doing well despite uh, the situation there. So uh, immediately, uh, you know, I wanted to know what is going on there. And I know that they cannot uh, really speak uh, freely there. And that uh, now it seems like uh, everything was disconnected again, even though just mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, I got some picture from a huge demonstration in uh, Khartoum. Yeah, I mean, we're all watching, you know, as the situation is unfolding. And man, the, the bravery of the people that are protesting and, and there have been some that have been killed in the protests. I mean, the international governments, including our government in Canada, the United States, the European Union, are really, you know, saying to the military leaders, you know, show some restraint here. Uh, of course, history would say that that probably won't happen, but certainly we need to be praying. I mean, Peter, you worked in Sudan for a number of years. And as you mentioned, you have personal contact with the people there. Explain to us a little bit about what it is like for a Christian living in Sudan, especially those that come from Muslim backgrounds. You know, um, since uh, the transitioner uh, transitional government um, was introduced, uh, there was a lot of hope uh, in, uh, uh, you know, all the brothers and sisters in Sudan, uh, because uh, first of all, uh, the Islam was not, uh, you know, uh, anymore the state religion, and also the death penalty for uh, uh, leaving Islam for the apostasy was actually uh, canceled. And that actually uh, gave a lot of hope uh, for freedom of religion. But in fact, uh, you know, uh, those brothers uh, who are from the Muslim background, they still have to be extremely cautious. Uh, one uh, fact is that you can have the uh, transitional government, uh, uh, you can have the sovereign council, uh, but uh, the other uh, power that is still in Sudan that has not changed is the Sudanese Secret Service, the NISS. And, uh, you know, uh, they are actually the actual power that is behind uh, the scene that is arresting people, uh, not only the political uh, opponents and the political civilian leaders, but also anyone who would still be active in evangelism uh, among uh, the majority of people, among the Muslims people. And that's uh, actually uh, the situation for those who came from uh, Islam to Christianity has not changed uh, at all because they still have to be in hiding. If they're not persecuted by uh, the government, by the authorities, uh, they can be always persecuted by their family members. And, uh, you know, what is still applied is what's written in Quran for those who leave Islam, whether it's daughter or son. Uh, the parents are actually those who are supposed to kill their son or daughter who uh, decided to leave Islam. So in one sense, for those who are actively sharing the gospel with the Muslims, they still have to do it in hiding and in the underground. Uh, but we see that their ministry is very effective and that many uh, are, return, are coming from Islam to Christianity. How are people coming to know the Lord? Again, when we hear the stories, you know, the churches being burned down, and of course we know what happened in the Nuba Mountains that went on for such a long time. Uh, you know, you have these blasphemy laws, you have, you know, you know, Sharia law, all these things are happening. 
And some would say, well, why would anybody risk becoming a Christian? So how is that happening, Peter? How are people coming into relationship with Jesus? In Sudan, there are people, uh, believers, who are full, uh, fulfilling the great commission of our Lord Jesus, which means to go to the end of the world and preach the gospel to all people, including the Muslim majority. And those people are the, uh, very courageous. Uh, you know, they have uh, experienced imprisonment uh, previously, even those people who were arrested uh, with me and uh, prosecuted with me, uh, they, they were, you know, in one sense, experienced prisoners, experienced prisoners. You know, I was the newbie to prison, but those people were already several times in prison because they were actively sharing the gospel despite uh, it was prohibited by uh, the previous laws. Uh, but they know that even though it was um, somehow formally allowed, uh, they still need to do it cautiously. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I know that they're very active in uh, several regions in Sudan, and uh, those who convert uh, uh, and uh, are becoming believers, they still have to uh, stay in hiding for a certain time. Uh, they meet uh, together uh, with uh, all other Muslim background believers, uh, but uh, they need to have a safe place for that. And that has not changed, and they, that will probably not change in the near future, uh, because they are living among uh, their family members, among their neighbors, and they have to be extremely cautious. But uh, they are willing, there are people uh, from the Christian background who are willing to take this risk. You know, if you would be just an ordinary uh, uh, Christian and uh, would just go to church on Sunday or Friday, whichever day would apply for them, uh, you know, they uh, could uh, live a relatively comfortable life, uh, even in Sudan. Maybe they would have problems uh, when their children would just go to the state school and would have to memorize the Quranic verses as well. But otherwise, uh, uh, maybe they could experience some uh, difficulties to find a good job because uh, the Muslim employer would always prefer a Muslim employee. But right. otherwise, they could live a relatively comfortable life. But those who follow Christ's great commission, and they're not afraid to share the gospel with Muslims. But, you know, it always has to be like one-to-one -one, uh, yeah. sharing because otherwise they could be easily identified by the secret police and could be arrested. And I guess that's like any culture, Peter, where people, and even where you are in the Czech Republic, I'm here in Canada, is many Christians just want to kind of keep a low key. They don't, especially, you know, as our cultures have become more secular and Christians have become more marginalized. And I guess I, that would be, you know, human nature in some places like even Sudan, where I understand it, especially when there is more danger, uh, you know, when they see churches being destroyed and pastors being arrested and people being killed for their faith in Jesus. We understand that. How is it then that some of these believers that really embrace the Great Commission and want to share the gospel and tell people, even at great risk, about this one called Jesus, and, the, and that's how you get to heaven. I mean, I would say that for a person who uh, truly believes uh, the word of the scriptures and the calling, and uh, they were themselves, uh, you know, uh, saved, uh, I would say that for those people, uh, it seems to be fully natural uh, to share the gospel. Uh, and they're always aware of the uh, risk, uh, but uh, 
I think the fact that they are following uh, the Great Commission, that they are being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, brings them to the decision to continue this uh, without, uh, you know, looking too much to the consequences that they can experience in their everyday life. And by the way, many of them have been already uh, in prison. Uh, they know that the Lord was with them in prison and that they don't need to be afraid uh, of any situation when they follow the Great Commission and they are led by the Holy Spirit uh, to share the gospel uh, with their Muslim neighbors. You yourself, of course, as we mentioned at the beginning, and we've talked before, uh, you've written a book on this, and again, that will be made available on the podcast show notes, that you were in prison. How inspired were you by faith of, you know, your, our brothers and sisters in Sudan that when you went through that very same thing yourself? You know, I have heard uh, uh, many times from the persecuted brothers and sisters uh, that when they were persecuted heavily uh, and uh, later on when I interviewed them, uh, they shared with me like they uh, considered it like a privilege uh, to be uh, persecuted. I know it sounded a bit strange and uh, when you would share it with the secular people, they would definitely think uh, you were crazy. Uh, but uh, uh, even though it was not easy to go through persecution, and I uh, maybe I could even say that I was uh, kind of praying and I didn't want that privilege when it uh, became very difficult. But mm -hmm. when it's over, actually, I would say that it uh, seems like a privilege uh, that I could also uh, experience what my brothers and sisters are experiencing in Sudan. Even though I was not uh, in prison because I would be sharing the gospel, but I was in prison of being considered a spy or someone who was trying to document document the persecution of believers there. Uh, but uh, in one sense, uh, we, we became uh, like uh, on uh, in one cell eventually. So which means that we were considered like uh, to be dangerous to the regime of Sudan. But when you think about that, you as a Christians are considered to be a dangerous to a government that have, has arms, you know, they have uh, uh, rapid support forces, and they have all these uh, equipment and uh, the power, and yet they consider the believers as dangerous. And in fact, you know, we were considered even more dangerous uh, than uh, the ISIS fighters who were with us in the prison. I mean, why why are Christians such uh, a threat uh, to this very powerful government under Omar al-Bashir? I mean, wh why, why did they see Christians as such a threat? I believe in order to understand this, uh, we have to go uh, to uh, John 15, you know, 18 through 21, when Jesus was preparing his followers uh, for persecution. You know, he told them that you will be hated by this world uh, mm -hmm. because you are not of the world. So I would say that anyone who has become the citizen of the heavenly kingdom uh, is being hated by this world because he or she is not of the world. Jesus said, right. if you were of the world, the world would love you. And then I think that is the key to understand why we as followers of Christ uh, who take seriously all his words, why are we hated by this world and why are we also persecuted? Uh, you cannot explain it uh, with just uh, uh, by uh, bypassing, you know, the spiritual uh, warfare that is behind that. Uh, we are being hated by uh, Satan who is trying to 
prevent uh, as many people as he could uh, from uh, uh, receiving the salvation that our Lord Jesus uh, brought uh, uh, for us. And uh, so that's the true reason for the persecution. And that's a true reason because, you know, the Islamist that is uh, ready to blow himself up is actually not uh, in the eyes of the devil is not uh, dangerous uh, to this world, but uh, to, and, and to Satan's uh, kingdom. But mm -hmm. uh, the one who is sharing the gospel, who is spreading the good news to people so that they could uh, get saved and also become the citizen of the heavenly kingdom. That is actually the true reason why is uh, so much uh, opposition by the people that Satan is using, by the secular government, authorities, by uh, secret police. Uh, you know, the attempt is just to block uh, sharing the gospel uh, to uh, people of that particular country. So, Peter, when Omar al-Bashir and his dictatorship was brought down in 2019, uh, then, you know, there was a civilian government and the military involved. They were promising democracy. At that time, were Christians and the people of the country optimistic? Uh, they were carefully optimistic uh, because, uh, you know, those people who uh, were born earlier, they and they could still remember what happened, uh, you know, in 1989 when uh, al-Bashir took the power. Uh, in one sense, uh, what happened when he was uh, removed from the power was uh, very similar to the situation that already happened in their history. So in one sense, those who remembered the history well, uh, they were very cautious. Uh, maybe the younger people were more optimistic, you know, in one sense, when you look at the people that uh, are taking part at the demonstrations, they're mostly young people. And also, uh, there, uh, there's a lot of women uh, demonstrating. So in one sense, you could say that the, uh, the women are so courageous. And sure it are. reminds me also of the situation when we were in prison in the court building, and we could hear the singing of uh, Sudanese women who were actually so courageous that they were not afraid of the secret police that was taking pictures of them. And maybe later on, they were arresting them. We don't know. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, the younger people always are more ready to uh, be excited about uh, the changes, uh, but uh, the elderly people, I think they were more cautious and just wanted to see if there will be any practical outcomes uh, or positive outcomes from their, for their lives. And in one sense, uh, I think that uh, as long as uh, the power uh, is still held by the secret police, which uh, was the case when I was arrested in Sudan, and I believe that is even now, because nothing would be uh, allowed to happen, uh, you know, by this general Abdul Fattah Abdurrahman uh, mm -hmm. Burhan, if it would not be uh, previously kind of agreed on and approved by the secret police, by NISS. So in one sense, those people who made personal experience with uh, NIS and were imprisoned, uh, they, they were very cautious. And, uh, you know, I could recognize it uh, when I was uh, uh, speaking with my friends 
And, uh, you know, there was a slightly different conversation whilst they were uh, talking out of Sudan or if they were able to visit the neighboring country and they could speak more for free, uh, then I could see that uh, they were not that optimistic. So I would say that uh, they were always were cautious to see uh, what kind of practical outcomes uh, the new changes uh, would really uh, bring. You know, Peter, a lot of people were really shocked, I think, uh, when they heard of a story back in 2014. And and this was, a, you know, an extremely high profile story. But uh, Sudan had sentenced a woman to death for marrying a Christian man. I think we all remember uh, Miriam Ibrahim Igshag. And uh, she had been raised by her mother and uh, her mother was a Christian. So she had claimed to be a Christian all her life. But because her father was a Muslim, it was alleged that she had committed apostasy from Islam. And under Islamic law, marriages between a Muslim woman and a non-Muslim are forbidden. It's not allowed. So Miriam was arrested, and one of her relatives actually claimed that she had committed adultery by marrying a Christian man. Now, the court then ordered her to abandon her Christian faith, but she refused. At the time of arrest and imprisonment, when she was put into jail, she was pregnant, and those photos got all over the world. And, and again, people were shocked. She gave birth behind bars. Eventually, she was released. And this case was so high profile that even the Pope uh, was involved. Uh, and, you know, when we hear stories like this, we're shocked. But Peter, and, and while it may not, you know, bring as much attention as the case with Miriam, but these kinds of things have been going on in Sudan for a long time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, in one sense, uh, uh, her case was uh, so well known even by uh, my Sudanese fellow prisoners. And uh, that was at the time when apostasy was still, uh, there was a death penalty for that. Uh, you know, under uh, the transitional uh, government, uh, this um, uh, apostasy death penalty was actually uh, uh, removed. So it, it gave at least uh, some legal hope uh, for those who have been, who would be charged with the same thing, uh, like uh, Miriam Ishak Ibrahim. Uh, but in one sense, I think uh, uh, because her case was so uh, publicized, you know, and I've seen people in the Sudanese prison who have been sentenced to death. Uh, and those were always chained, uh, you know, on their legs and they could uh, barely walk. And uh, so I, I could vividly imagine, you know, what it had to be for Miriam, you know, when she had to uh, give birth, you know, with uh, having uh, the uh, chain legs. And, and that just shows the brutality of uh, the regime in Sudan. But in one sense, uh, those people who arrested her, uh, you know, they're still at power. You know, uh, the, interestingly, you know, the, the, the general uh, of uh, the, the Sudanese secret police, um, uh, who was the general at, at her time, you know, he later on became in prison. And uh, when I was uh, released from the Sudanese prison, I heard, because I was following the situation in Sudan, I heard that this uh, general uh, Salah Abdullah Bosch is still uh, or was reinstated to his position. So in one sense, uh, there, is, uh, there is very little that has changed uh, in the Sudan because you still have the same people uh, in the very significant positions uh, also with the Sudanese secret police. Uh, and those people who are actually sharing the gospel uh, with the Muslims 
uh, with Muslims, uh, they're aware of this uh, danger even now. And that's why they're always trying to do it, uh, you know, secretly, one-to-one -one, uh, person and uh, always uh, being uh, aware of the risk of their activity. What would you say is the state of the church in Sudan right now? Uh, I mean, the statistics, I was looking at this earlier, uh, there's about 1.8 million Christians uh, in Sudan. That's about 5.4% of the population. So to say, how is the church doing? I know that is a broad question, but with your contacts, you know, before things were kind of shut down uh, and interacting with our brothers and sisters currently in Sudan, how are things going? Is the church still moving forward? Are people still coming to Jesus? And, and is it still growing? Yes, uh, I can say uh, that the church is still uh, growing. Um, you know, the church that is kind of officially allowed and that uh, consists from uh, uh, Christian background believers, uh, it, it's growing as well. Uh, but I have visited uh, several churches in Sudan, and I know that uh, they do have uh, missionary activities uh, for their majority uh, neighbors, uh, for the Muslims. And uh, it is a very well a prepared program that uh, is uh, uh, covering not only the uh, the sharing of the gospel, but uh, that also consists of uh, programs uh, for training of those mm -hmm. who uh, has have become uh, believers and are from the Muslim background. It also involves uh, you know safe places for them so that they could meet, and uh, they also have uh, prepared a kind of uh, plan for them. You know how. Uh, they should, you know, come out uh, or when their new face is being discovered, how to behave and how to deal with that situation. And they also have uh, plan B for those who have to uh, escape from their houses and to be relocated for a certain time uh, because they cannot uh, stay in their uh, hometowns uh, or in, in, with their families. And so I would say that, uh, you know, the, the church in Sudan, I would say the majority of church denominations, uh, they are aware that they are living as minority, uh, especially in, in northern Sudan. We, we don't talk now about the South Sudan. We are talking about the country that is predominantly right. Muslim, or is also uh, there is a large portion, a percentage of uh, um, the uh, animists, those who have the traditional African religion, Sudanese. Uh, and uh, if, if they would share the gospel with those, that's still considered like okay uh, for, for the secret police. But uh, the biggest danger is always uh, for those who are sharing the gospel with Muslims. And I think that churches are aware that their missionary field is among the Muslims, especially in northern Sudan, especially in the city of Khartoum or Omdurman or other bigger cities uh, like Port Sudan. And uh, they are uh, actively uh, preparing their church members for uh, this uh, sort of activity. Of course, they, they have to choose those who uh, may be a low profile, who are not uh, that visible, uh, you know, by the secret police or by the society there, but they are doing that. And I'm sure that uh, this is the activity that is the most exciting also mm -hmm. for the church members when they see how the uh, majority uh, religion people 
are being exposed to the gospel and when they are positively responding to that. Yeah, no matter what happens, you know, change of governments, uh, you know, we're seeing even in Afghanistan right now, uh, believers really have to be careful uh, and they need that incredible wisdom, you know, to be able to share their faith. And, and then if you're in family situations where you've left Islam, people are then watching you even closer. It's it's difficult and dangerous. It's, you know, it's the sheep among wolves situation that is reality in so many countries, which I know you have seen a close up, you know, in your years of travel. So, Peter, how can we pray for our brothers and sisters in Sudan during this very tumultuous time? You know, uh, we all know that we serve the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who uh, can help those who are being persecuted and he can give them courage. But uh, we know that we serve the uh, the Lord that is that is the Lord of fellowship, and he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from the church that is still living in freedom, and he wants to answer our prayers. I would like to encourage uh, your viewers to uh, fervently pray for those uh, persecuted brothers and sisters, and especially that the Lord would give them the courage mm -hmm. uh, to continue uh, sharing the gospel uh, with uh, the majority people there so that they would not be afraid. Uh, we, we need to pray for them that uh, uh, they would really take every opportunity that the Holy Spirit will guide them into the situations uh, to share the gospel. Uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, we, we can also pray for those who are uh, being followed or who will be uh, arrested uh, imprisoned, uh, that the Lord would give them the courage also to stand firm uh, when, the, when the secret police would try to uh, convince them to stop that activity. Uh, they really need the courage uh, to uh, fulfill their great commission. That's uh, always the prayer uh, that they ask for uh, when I on my ways uh, to these persecuted countries or when I was with the Sudanese brothers in, uh, brothers in prison, when I ask them, uh, they always ask uh, for prayers, uh, for the courage that they could stay firm, uh, even despite uh, the imprisonment, threats, uh, or, or uh, even uh, despite the fact that they may be tortured uh, in prison just to reveal uh, some contacts uh, or reveal the names of those uh, believers from the Muslim background. Uh, let's pray especially for those who will uh, experience this persecution uh, when they will be arrested and interrogated by secret police, that they would yeah. stay firm and not to reveal anything that could be dangerous for their brothers and sisters from the Muslim background, because the torture that these secret police co-workers can apply for those during the interrogation can be really severe. Yeah. You know, I know that they can use the electric power, you know, on their bodies to make them speak. Uh, and let's especially pray uh, for the uh, women uh, Christian workers, uh, because if they uh, would become uh, arrested and interrogated, uh, quite often what uh, those Christian women in prison experience is extremely uh, awful because they even rape uh, them. And that's really a very difficult situation for those Christian women uh, who have been arrested because of their active uh, evangelism among the majority people in Sudan. 
Yeah, it's hard for us to hear those kinds of things. Um, you know, the women, especially uh, that that are enduring, you know, these kinds of situations, these the, the raping and the, the, the again, the enemy always tries to bring fear. And that is one of the ploys that he uses to try to stop the advance of the gospel. And again, we're always reminded that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church because the church is in the offensive and and people are coming to Jesus and that stirs things up. So Peter, before we close today, can you lead us in prayer? And, uh, you know, on the podcast, people are either listening or watching this, uh, that we can join together and lift up our brothers and sisters in Sudan, because in any crisis situation, there's incredible opportunities. And so we're going to pray for opportunities that even as things are chaotic right now in Sudan and people are fearful, they tend then to be more open to even the message of the gospel about God's love. So, Peter, can you lead us? Absolutely. I will do it gladly. Let us pray now. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we just lift up uh, the, our brothers and sisters uh, in Sudan, those who are at the moment experiencing very uncertain time. Uh, maybe they're experiencing some excitement, you know, that there is uh, there is new things coming. Uh, Lord, uh, we especially lift up those who are persecuted for their active uh, Christian witness in Sudan, for those who are following uh, the uh, Great Commission, who are sharing the gospel with uh, their Muslim neighbors, even though they know that it is uh, very dangerous and they can be prosecuted because of that, they can be even arrested and interrogated and even without any legal prosecution they can be held in prison lord we pray for their courage they will continue to do that lord i pray also especially for those who are from the muslim background and uh, they uh, have uh, known the, the truth they have known you lord that you will strengthen their faith you will give them the uh, strength and that uh, you will remove all fear uh, that uh, they would not be afraid of the situation that may happen to them if they would uh, just be identified as your followers we pray lord that you will give them strength especially in those moments when uh, they will have to come out with their new christian identity and uh, rejected by their families and persecuted by their families or even put in prison and being threatened even or even being threatened that they will be killed lord we pray that their new face will be strengthened by the holy spirit and they will continue in their new uh, freedom that you have got from you lord but lord i also pray for those uh, uh, Christians who are just persecuted because of their Christian identity, mm -hmm. that uh, uh, they do not uh, do any real activity to share the gospel. Maybe they're afraid. Lord, uh, I pray that you will uh, get to know, uh, know yourself to them in a powerful way, that they will realize uh, what uh, you have done for them on the cross and that they will just... Uh, continue to live according to your word and that they will also follow your great commission to share the gospel with their neighbors. Uh, I pray for those who may live in comfortable life there in Sudan because they uh, do not want to do anything that's dangerous, but uh, they, Lord, I pray that you will show them that they it is better to uh, follow your instruction than to be afraid of the uh, what is forbidden by the local authorities, Lord. Pray, uh, Lord, we lift up all those uh, uh, 
three groups uh, to you and we pray that yes, you will Jesus. guide them with your Holy Spirit and that you will encourage them to remain faithful no matter what kind of persecution, what kind of torture, what kind of beatings they may go through. And Lord, that you will be right beside them in the most difficult moments. And we thank you for that, that you have promised to us mm -hmm. that you will be with us uh, till the end of this world. And you will give us your supernatural uh, heavenly peace that is surpassing all human understanding uh, and that uh, will guard their minds and hearts in you. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Peter Yasek. Uh, always so good to see you again. You've written a very powerful, impacting book. It's called Imprisoned with Isis, Faith in the Face of Evil. Uh, and I would highly recommend it. Again, if you go to the show notes on this podcast, uh, you can order it from the Voice of the Martyrs. Again, highly recommend it. And uh, when Peter was in Canada a few years ago, we had a chance to sit down in the 100 Huntley Street Studios in Burlington, Ontario, and you shared your testimony. And again, I'll put that link to the interview on the show notes. Peter Yasek, thank you again for joining me. Peter is the Global Ambassador for the Voice of the Martyrs, and he goes to our various missions around the world. Uh, he's a friend of the ministry. And again, it was wonderful to see you from one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Prague, Czech Republic. God bless you, brother, and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Greg, for the invitation. It's been a pleasure for me uh, to take part in your program. And I pray that uh, uh, the Lord will just impact the viewers and will bless them abundantly. Well, I know that uh, I've been blessed because of uh, your ministry and Again, sometimes when we hear these stories, they're not easy to hear, but we need to hear them. We need to pray. And both you and I, as, as we've traveled and when we you know, said we're going back to our countries for you, the Czech Republic, for me, Canada, what is the most important thing we can do? And that is pray. So that's what we've done today. And I would encourage you, you know, to continue to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Sudan. In fact, when you watch the news and you see what's going on, that can often be a good reminder to pray for those that love Jesus and bring the hope to a country that is in a lot of chaos. The Closer to the Fire podcast is a ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. For more information, go to vomcanada.com.